Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is the catch-up episode, which means there's a previous guest who's been on the show who is back for another episode, and it is Marty Sheargold, a man who needs no introduction, one of Australia's best uh, comedians, stand-up comedians, and particular radio hosts who has a brand new show in Melbourne on uh, Triple M, but you can listen to the podcast nationally and internationally. It's called The Marty Sheargold Show, and it was great to have Marty back on the podcast to talk all things radio. We go very much inside what it's like to rebuild a new show in a new slot and the risks that come with that, and I'm very pleased to see the morning that uh, Marty's show has had a good first result in the radio ratings survey, something very strong for them to build on in the future. So that's very exciting for him and all his incredible team that he talks about in this episode. So if you like the catch-up episodes, the best way to have more of these is to support the show at patreon.com slash philosophy. If we can get up to US $5,000 per month, we will actually do one of these episodes every week. But in the meantime, because we're lingering around 4800 we're pretty close, and I think you deserve a catch-up episode now and again when I have one. So here's one. It's with Marty Sheargold. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Speaking of Marty, last time I saw him in person was at Adelaide. It was in Adelaide about a year ago at the Adelaide Fringe, just before everything shut down. Well, I did not think I was going back to Adelaide for the Adelaide Fringe this year, but it turns out we live in a new world where... Shows are sometimes announced very quickly, and it turns out that I have some shows in Adelaide next week. That's right. Wednesday night, Wednesday through Saturday, four shows are illegal, which is the return of my show about being arrested on the way to Wagga Wagga. I never got to do a final version of that in Adelaide because I was running in the new show, still working out how it all worked and how I could tell the story. And I only had 60 minutes and it's a longer show than that. Well, for four shows only in Adelaide next week, I have 70 minutes. Uh, That's still shorter than I have been doing, but I think I can fit it all into 70 minutes. So if you want to come along and see those shows, they start on Wednesday next week. Please come along. That would be great. I know it's short notice, but I would love to see you at the shows and I think you'll really enjoy the show. And then on this Sunday night, there may not even be tickets available still to this when you're listening uh, because they were selling very quickly, but I am going to do my improvised show, What You Talking About, Will, on Sunday the 21st. Before that, on uh, March the 13th, which is uh, this Saturday night, so if you're listening to this on the Thursday, if you're a Patreon subscriber on Friday for everybody else, this Saturday night, there are still some outdoor tickets to the Brunswick Picture House to see my What You Talking About Will show on the big screen there. If you want to come along, that is my last of those gigs at the Brunswick Picture House for a little while. So if you're in the area and you want to come along to a show, this is your last chance. And then for two weeks at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival starting April 6th, I will be doing Will Legal at the Arts Centre, I am bringing the show back for 12 shows only, limited seating, COVID arrangements, but I would love to see you there if you want to see the show, if you've never seen it before, or if you'd just like to revisit it and see what I have done with it in the meantime, please come along and see Will Eagle at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. There'll be more dates announced as we go along. You know, we're just taking it bit by bit. A lot of them won't have long lead times. That's the world we're living in at the moment. So uh, opportunities arise. Like the opportunity to go to Canberra I had a couple of weeks ago. That only came up three weeks before the actual shows. I think there'll probably be a bit more of that this year. So uh, please come out, support live comedy. Uh, we're all doing it in a very safe way and trying to keep people safe and happy at the same time. So we would love to see you at a show. Speaking of shows, I have other podcasts. You can find them all at tofop.com. There is tofop that my friend and I, Charlie Clawson, have been doing for nearly 11 years. There is fofop, which is a spin-off of that. Uh, Justin Hamilton is on the last couple of episodes. Always great to have Justin on Fofop. We have an AFL football adjacent podcast called Two Guys, One Cup. Charlie's been doing a My Club series over the summer, which has been brilliant, where he's interviewed various uh, people about why they support the AFL team they support. If you like the Josh Earl episode of Philosophy earlier in the week, you might like the Josh Earl episode of My Club, where he talks all about his love for the North Melbourne Football Club. And uh, the regular season of Two Guys, One Cup is back because... Uh, uh, we recorded an episode last night. So uh, sometime in the next few days before the season starts, you will get our big season preview on uh, Two Guys, One Cup. All right, that's all the plugs. Uh, Hope you are all doing well. If you like the show, uh, share it around, tell your friends about it, like, subscribe, review, rate. All those things are important because we're a little indie podcast and we don't have a big media company or advertising dollars or any of those things, a network behind us. It is just us. And you guys, the listeners of this show, the reason that it still exists, that it comes out regularly, that we put all the work that we do into making sure that it does that is because 
of the incredible support we get from you, the listening audience. So thank you very much for that. And uh, please continue to be an advocate for what we're doing here and we will continue to do it. All right. Enjoy the show with Marty. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. It's a return guest. Very excited to have today's uh, guest back on the show. Uh, we spoke for the first time almost a year ago. Is that to right? The day. Okay. That is absolutely correct. This is how the show starts. I ask the guests who they are. So who are you? Marty Sheargold reporting for duty, Will. <laughs> Hello, Marty Sheargold reporting for duty. It was about a year ago, pre-everything going to shit. That's so right. Yes. You were about to go back out on the road, do a whole bunch of stand-up shows. Yeah. And we spoke just before that. Yep. And then we ran into each other in Adelaide. That's right. When you were over there doing shows and I was doing shows. Yes. And then... And then, and then the you, world then disintegrated. The world stopped. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was crazy, wasn't it? Because everyone, even at that Adelaide Festival, people were like, in the final weekend, they were like, oh, they're talking about not doing the final weekend. I'm like, what? Because some bloke's got a cold. <laughs> Still, you know, taking that attitude through life with me. Uh, well, the great thing <laughs> is some people have taken that attitude through the last 12 months as well. Q and on. Held on hard to the idea that it's just a, a cold. I know. Or it's just a. Uh, it's all. It's. All, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you've had much encounters with in your world uh, people who are. You think it's all a, a pan scamdemic. I know. You know. It's all a bit of a con. Um, as you know, I'm now uh, living in the northern rivers of New South Wales. Yeah. So there would have been a few blokes say, up there thinking it's all rubbish. I won't name what he does. In mm. fact, I'll, I'll make up another trade that this guy does because mm. he's so good mm. at uh, being a tradie that I don't want to lose him as a tradie. <laughs> but as, as, as long as he knows as much about being an electrician <laughs> as, he, as he knows about vaccine science, yeah. I, I imagine that everything's going to be fine. Look, I think the thing about the length and the harshness of the Melbourne slash regional Victorian lockdown sort of took any of the guesswork out of whether or not you believed in COVID. <laughs> it, it really was foisted on us uh, to become believers very quickly. Otherwise, the whole thing made no sense at all because it was you got out at a perfect time. You would have done the big national lockdown like all of us, but I'm assuming you were Northern Rivers before the sort of second one, the longer one. Yeah, so yeah. we actually left Melbourne on April the 1st because oh. we, we were sticking around for the comedy festival yes. and then we were going to move anyway. Yep. But then, of course, the comedy festival got cancelled. So we took that time, packed up the house yeah. and uh, and moved, not knowing, of course, that you know the next nine months in Melbourne was going to be an absolute nightmare. But yeah. we went to yeah the Northern Rivers where... I've often said that it's hard to convince somebody to wear a mask in the shop when you can't convince them to wear shoes in the shop. That's right. You've got no hope. No. And so... They're already in paradise. Right. Exactly. And there was no COVID cases up there pretty much for the entire time. So, like, the idea that you have to pretend that you really know what the struggle was like, I just don't think that you can ever... You can intellectually know what it was like for people. Of course. My favourite is when people go, yeah, I know, I've got a... Well, we had a friend in Melbourne that we were sort of, oh, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? Our friend told us it was a nightmare. I'm like, shut <laughs> up with, you, with your Melbourne friends. <laughs> Try homeschooling a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. Well, and it was relentless. I know I'm carrying on about it because I've been triggered. No, that's what I want to know. No, but this is it. Like, I want your experience because we spoke in such an optimistic place last time and then everything went to shit. So what has that 12 months been like? Well, I think like all of us for that first six-week lockdown, it was just red wine and having a laugh and <laughs> don't worry too. And it's homeschooling was like, it's 183, mate. Just write it down. Do you know what I mean? It was like, show us your workings. Oh, fuck off. Show us your workings. Uh, so I think for the first six weeks we thought it was just a <laughs> yeah it was a bit of a laugh and I was blind I mean I was out of work um in every sense of the word or was I no I think I was still working on the previous radio show 
And But still, it was an afternoon show, so that was the beauty of doing those four o'clock in the Arvo till six hours. You could do whatever you want, and if you can't come good by four, well, you need to be hospitalised. <laughs> You've done too much of whatever you're into. And at the time, I was heavily into Italian reds and really giving them a nudge. So the first six weeks was great. Then we had a taste of freedom for three or four weeks and we thought we'd broken the back of it. And I remember going to visit mum on the central coast in New South Wales and the press conferences started. Um, And then it was 100 people. I'm like, gee, wow, that's really getting a toehold there. And then it was 340 people. I'm like, is this a day? Are we going to the beach or is that three... (laughs) Should we, you start to feel guilty about what you're doing outside of Victoria. Then it was like, if you don't come back to Victoria now, you're never going to be allowed to come to Victoria again. <laughs> In your life. We literally loaded the car up and flew back via Albury. And we were like, then it was 7.50 a day. I'm like, this is actually quite alarming. And people in aged care were dying. People were starting to die in hospitals quite regularly. It was killing people. I was like, holy hell. And then, of course, it all became about that one security guard who allegedly potted a bird at the hotel. I'm like, this can't just be a security guard rooting a bird at the hotel. There's got to be stuff we don't know going on. Then you find out it got into the northern suburbs through um, uh, the um, end of Ramadan and some big family sort of occasions. Um, and it started to make a bit more sense because it became a bit of a super spreader issue then. And then you realise how contagious that virus is as it spreads like wildfire. Yeah, so that, and and then you see the world. I mean, you know, half a million people now in America dead. Unbelievable. Like, you know, so you look at the experience of like London in another lockdown. Unbelievable. In in this country, we've been remarkably lucky, even with the Melbourne experience for what it was like. But it did, it has changed that temperature of that town a bit. And now you're doing, you know, Melbourne breakfast radio, right? Like, Mm. you know, which is very much a, you know, beforehand you were doing a, you know, a national radio show. So kind of you're speaking to all those various markets and all their various experiences. But mm. suddenly, you know, Melbourne Breakfast Radio, any city breakfast radio, you're kind of the the heartbeat of the city. People are waking up for you. They're trying to work out what, you know, that town's all about. And then suddenly you have that snap lockdown again at the end. I know. Of, and, and people, there was a real reaction to that, like, I think people really freaked out when that five-day lockdown came along. Yeah, I think people had had enough then and there was a real feeling of like, oh, honestly, you know, when you find out that it's a couple of cases in the Holiday Inn and you're sort of like, God, this this feels disproportionate. This feels disproportionate, you know. It doesn't feel right that we're going into a five-day lockdown. But then you're reminded of what the alternative is and that's not having a lockdown and having a numb nut in coals, give it to the whole of Melbourne again. So it's a real swings and roundabouts kind of thing. I think we're worn down by it now. We're exhausted. But I I would imagine if there's another suggestion of a lockdown that there will be blood in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've had enough now. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sick of talking about it. In fact, sometimes I just go, oh, let's not talk about it. And everyone's going, oh, well, sense of the day. We've got to reflect Melbourne. I go, do we? <laughs> or can we just have a day off it? I reckon you can have a day off it. And I, think I reckon it's probably very important now to be having days off it. I, yeah. I, I, I hung on and we were just talking about this before we started. I hung on to not doing shows for probably longer than other Needed. people had, you know, yeah. everybody yeah. else was kind of, at one stage, one of my friends literally sat me down and went, just mate, everyone else has started again. Stop, yeah. stop, you know, pretending that you have to wait any longer. People are trying to get back to normal. People can decide whether they want to come to a show or not. It's still up to them. If they don't want to come out, that is absolutely fine. But people are back working, get back working. So the day we're speaking, yeah, I've, I've done a couple of improv shows. So I've been on stage a couple of times up, up in Brunswick Heads, but tonight, is actually the first time since March 15th last year that I'm going on stage to do some proper stand-up. That's amazing. I have, I'm the same as you. I haven't gone back to it at all yet. Um, but look, for someone like you, it's slightly different because you've done so much of that craft. 
that in terms of getting your comedy legs back, it's really muscle memory for you. That's not to diminish how hard it is for normal people. <laughs> but, you know, there's a level of comic where you can actually, it is in you. Um, but that's still interesting that you've held off, held off, held off, held off, held off. And maybe it's because, you you know, as fortuitous as this time has been, it has been a break. And it is a relentless business being a comedian. And it's taxing in so many different ways, emotionally, um, mentally, physically, um, quite literally for you physically as well that it's probably been a wonderful time for you to just be able to take the foot off the gas and relax there without was a... that anxiety, you know, that <sighs> constant thing sitting behind you of like, what's tonight? How many people? Oh, Jesus, here we go. And just, yeah, what town are you in? What bed mm. are you sleeping in? But mm. even just that, like, I forgot that just that idea of not putting yourself through that incredible adrenaline at night. I know. It's exhausting. Like you just like I'd often just get to like you know five six o'clock in the afternoon and go right what do I I guess I what smoke a joint and watch some Netflix like, <laughs> yeah that... this day won't end <laughs> what time am I on <laughs> who booked a nine o'clock show are you kidding me <laughs> I know it's relentless isn't it and then on the other side of that this is what I I think we talked about this briefly possibly last time is having a Coke Zero backstage after right. it all on your own. <laughs> It's like, this is awful. What is this? I've just torn the roof off this joint. I even made myself laugh a couple of times. And then you're having a Coke Zero going, I don't understand any of this shit. Because it was, so you would have had a lot of work though, because you were like, this was what we were talking about last time was you were going to go back out. I mean, you'd already done some stand up, you were back doing stand up, but you had this like, you know, yeah. reasonably big tour planned. It's still all there. I haven't even started. I was supposed to start it again in mm-hmm. April in Canberra and I'm having conversations with the promoter about whether or not, because it's limited capacity, checkerboard seating in a big theatre, like a thousand seater. I'm like, are we doing that? Am I going to do a half full, you know, why are we doing that? Why don't we just wait? We've waited this long. I mean, I'm, I'm from, it's the Will Anderson camp. Why don't we just wait? Yeah, but <laughs> Should they- we wait a bit longer? Because I'd like, I'd like to work full. I like to work full rooms. I mean, I'm sounding like talent. I can believe me. I can hear myself. Um, but I do. I don't want to go and work half full. There's no. There, it's a confidence game as much as anything. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to see velvet on the back of chairs. I want to see humans. Even if it's think, government, even if it's government mandated, you're still going to look at that empty seat and think, "I didn't sell that. You weren't allowed exactly. to, Marty." I know. It doesn't matter. So we're doing another night where we're selling no. the other half. It's like, yeah, I just, it's like that gig I did in Cairns. One of the, you know, where you, when, well, you won't remember, but when you, when you, you will remember, but when you're sort of trying to sell big rooms, but you haven't been to that market and you've only got a couple of things in that market profile wise that'll sell it. I went up and did Cairns in a 900 seater and sold about 430 <laughs> tickets, but it was a beautiful room. And I was so disappointed because all I was thinking on stage was how beautifully upholstered the seats were <laughs> because I could see so many of them. <laughs> and I made a mental note, don't come back to Cairns till you sell a few more. I love the idea of when you find out the limitations of your audience somewhere though. Mark Marin told me, like this story, and I'm sure that he won't mind me saying this because his whole humour is telling embarrassing stories about himself. But he was yeah. um, he, he, in Australia, like he put on these big, you know, sort of like huge room, you know, Tour. off the back of WTF, like suddenly yeah. he's going to tour to Australia. Like yeah. day one, they check the sales and they've sold like half the venue like yeah. that. Like day yeah. one. He's thinking this fans. is going to be massive. Yeah. Did not sell out. Yeah, did <laughs> like not sell out. Because day one case. turns out they were all of his all fans. All of his fans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I, I can. I can. I can sympathise. Certainly in cans. Uh, but look, it is that thing of you know you got to keep going back. Like you can throw your hands in the air and go you know fuck cans, or you can be an adult about it and realise it takes time to build a market. Well, the and other thing is, some of those places, they have venues that are disproportionately sized to 
the yeah. ac- acts that come through. Like, like yeah. you know, Cairns doesn't have, say, a nice 500-seater that you exactly. can feel. That's they've right. Got to, they've got to have this same venue that Troy Cassadaly can play when he yeah. comes to town, and he can fill the room in Yeah, Cairns. that's right. So you go nuts out and think, oh, well, we'll see how it goes. Mm. And look, it doesn't always go the way you <laughs> hope it would. But in saying that, it will take time to – and Kitty Flanagan said that to me as well. She's like, you've just got to keep going back to those markets and those rooms and let them know that you're – going to, you know, be a regular visitor. Um, so tell me this then, because it, it's interesting, because you say, yes, of course, I'm always going to go back to it. You know, it's mm. amazing that it took me a year. In fact, I'm mm. very proud of myself that mm. I held my nerve, you know, for me to, you know, wait almost a year to see how I could do with that. But for you, I imagine the promoters start to get a bit nervous because well, last, time, is... last time you took some time off, it was 15 yeah. years later. Before you <laughs> did it. I, I would imagine they would be thinking, why is he ringing with concerns about Canberra? What's the next chat going to be? <laughs> the next chat's be ringing going, I don't think we should do Canberra. Uh, so, yeah, they'll, um, yeah, I think you're right. There's probably a couple of nervous people in there, but I'm absolutely committed to doing it and I really enjoyed it and I do love doing it. And when, as you well know, when you get into those rooms and people are there to see you, it's a totally different scenario than the local comedy club with randoms who have been papered. Um, so I've really enjoyed it and I look forward to it. Having recently started this Melbourne Breakfast show and, in fact, you were a part of the version before me um, for a long time, it's sort of... a feels like a bit of a pain in the ass now. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't want to be reticent or reluctant to even say that kind of thing because that is how I'm feeling. It feels like i got a lot on now. Um, I get that. So not only are you trying to establish something, you know, this is your mm. own show, you know, you're talking about the Marty Shear Gold Show, Triple M in Melbourne. People can podcast it, by the way. I've been having to listen to the podcast. It's a really mm. fun and funny show. But you're Good on stab- you you're establishing your own identity. You know, there's been a show in that market in that slot for like a decade that a was long pretty time. identifiable as what Absolutely. it was. And then suddenly you have to come in and go, well, we're not that. This is what no. we are. Yeah. And, and then, you know, Breakfast Radio is a bit of an enemy of doing nighttime things as well. So yes. is there a possibility that stand-up does get put away again for a while? <laughs> the stand-up, if you have a ticket to the show, do not panic. <laughs> we, I will I will see out the commitment that I've made. But it's when you're doing a show like this radio show that I'm doing now, as you well know, Will, it's hard work and there's no sort of shortcuts in getting around it. And particularly at the start-up point of the show, it's quite um, intensive and there is a lot of work. And a lot, you know, what comes with it as well is the expectation around it, the expectation in the hallways as you go through these sort of early weeks and days. It's sort of, you know, it's a challenging time as a performer. Well, you've been there, done that. You understand how it works. You know, there yes. is a lot of that at the start. There's a lot of, yeah. you know, having your face everywhere, like meeting yep. all the important people, everybody being super enthused that you're there. And, and like, That's you right. know, there's a whole team decision that everybody has to get behind that this is, you are a great idea. You know, you're, yeah, the, that's right. you're the new boyfriend who's being introduced to the group. You I really am. high hopes for this one and everybody's trying to be as encouraging as it's possible. It's Kool-Aid time yeah. for yeah. all of us. <laughs> and we are drinking it and loving each other, mate. It won't be beer and Skittles when book four comes in. <laughs> <laughs> we all start avoiding eye contact in the kitchen and you start to feel apologetic. Um, hopefully we don't head into that territory. But, you know, you do churn a big audience when you replace a show as, as as iconic as the hot breakfast. It's whether or not the dudes that go away, it just takes time to build your own audience after that. So it's a waiting game and there's no reason why it shouldn't work um, when I look at the landscape in Melbourne at the moment. And that's not to be dismissive of any of the other products that are in this market. We are just a point of difference in the sense that it's theoretically a single voice show. It's less sport driven. Um, it's leaning more into the quirky stories that are around the world. And whilst you still want to tap into the local stuff, I think we're all 
big enough and strong enough now to have an international conversation in a local market. So do you have like a, cause this is, you've had this great experience. This is what I love about this opportunity for you is that you've like, you've had goes at breakfast radio before, you know, mm. several, several different configurations of, mm. you know, breakfast radio before you've had this incredibly successful, you know, afternoon drive show for a very mm. long time as part of a team. And then suddenly it's very much, this is your show it is you at the point in your career and your life when you're most in control of what it is that you do. You know, you've never had more experience. What was your idea of what you want to achieve with this show? Well, um, I wanted to have a sort of no compromised crack at making content and not having to be part of that sort of committee meeting that is building a show every day. Um, and I wanted to have a go at it while I was still fresh and keen enough to have a go at it because I'm 50 this year and probably uh, at the top of the hill right. <laughs> in, in terms of eligibility moving forward. Um, I'll never get another opportunity like the one I've got now. Um, there may be other opportunities going forward, but this is really standalone sort of opportunity for me and you you know you don't get these opportunities often in life and you want to get them right and the idea of tossing the keys in the air at 10 past nine is just you know hilarious to me when I look around at some of the sort of stuff that goes on in radio and I've been guilty of it myself um, so I wanted to I wanted to really have a crack I wanted to really take some ownership over it be responsible for it and do the best work that I can and what is that work? Like, what does that look like? When you, when you see the best of you, what is the best of you? I reckon it's just an attitude to the world and it's a way that I've skewed myself through life and feel comfortable in doing that. It's not easy to sort of sit here and have strong opinions about, particularly sometimes people, what you and I know, mm. you know, whether, whether it's Andrew O'Keefe or whether it's Tom Gleeson or whether it's Jamie Drury you know, we move in a world full of people you and I have generally met. So to be sitting here having strong opinions about whether it's a new TV show with Pete Hellier, whatever it is, you've got to be able to really, if you're not having a crack and a tilt, um, and that doesn't have to be mean-spirited, but it has to be engaging and truthful. And I think it takes, it takes you to get to a certain point in life where you've got the confidence in yourself and who you are to know that you're working from the right place. Um, and I feel like that's where I'm at now, as vicious and mean-spirited as it can come across. In my mind, it's still pretty funny. <laughs> you know, there's still that tiny child in me. And, well, and is, that, is that the balance? Because this is... This is, I think, the hardest bit of all, right? Which is this, I, I, I mean, I used to talk to Adam Spencer about this back in the Triple J days, mm. which was the idea of as soon as you get to know somebody, it mm. is so much harder to do your job properly. Because yes, you're is. like, I should be making fun of Russell yeah. Crowe throwing that phone, but Russell exactly. Crowe's been retweeting my show plugs and now Yeah, I'm... yeah. He's been really good to me <laughs> and making... he's actually not a bad guy. And he's a great yeah. supporter of Australian comedy. And like, how do I... <laughs> I know. But I think it's okay to just set that up straight at the start and go, you know what? Russell Crowe's not a bad guy. I've met him a few times and he's been a supporter of mine. But throwing phones is absolutely not on and he would know that in those sort of moments of clarity that he has when he's not drinking and smoking pot. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking about that. I don't know what Rusty's into. But it is that kind of thing. If you just sort of... You, you know, you you know as well as I do. In radio, you're constantly setting stuff up, you or resetting stuff, and it's about an economy of words and getting to the core of the issue as quickly as you can because you know you've got about two and a half minutes to to do the whole thing. And so, is there yeah. um, has there ever been? Have you like found? like backlash from those people? Cause I think people would be interested in that. Like if you make a joke about Peter Hallier or Tom Gleeson or Rove or whatever, you know, people that we know and love yeah. that are friends of ours that you run into backstage at gigs, you know, I did. does it ever come back your way? Well, actually it's funny. I was worried about some things I'd said about Tom Gleeson um, through the gold Logie campaign uh, that Tom was big on there for a while. And I saw him, just after I saw you in Adelaide at a bar 
and we were having a beer. I said, Tom, look, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna have to play my hand here, mate. I've had a couple of, I've had a couple of pretty big cracks at you over the last 12 or 18 months. And he's like, it's fine. I go, mate, I know it's fine. I know, but it would be ridiculous if I stood here and pretended none of that has happened. Whether you've heard it or not, doesn't matter. It's also about me being able to know that there's a part of my personality that can stand in front of someone and say, you know, I've had a real shot at you, mate. I want you to know it's not personal. Because for me, it's not personal. It's only yeah. content. The shit's and it, giggles. It's it really is. Yeah. And it is content. And that's what it is. My real beliefs and opinions are somewhere in the middle. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's content. And it's meant to be that. I'm interested in how you put content together because, uh, well, and, and maybe this is the stuff they're cutting out of the podcast, but from listening to the podcast version of the show that I've been hearing, not a lot of, like, do you, do you not do interview? I mean, I've heard some interviews. No, but I don't. light on interviews, right? No, I don't want to do interviews. <clears throat> Why? I don't, I don't want to fall into that trap and I've never wanted to do this and very, very rarely have is fill the whiteboard. And I think if I get Jenny from maths in here, well, I've missed an opportunity to do three minutes of something entertaining. Mm. <laughs> um, if I get Julia Morris, God lover, to come in and forward sell the jungle, well, I don't get it. I don't know why I would do that because I can do that. I can say the jungle starting on Sunday night. Let's go through the cast. Oh, he's a bit of a dick. Oh, I don't know her. What's she do? That to me is more interesting than actually getting somebody in to walk us through it. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to give the show over to somebody that means I'm filling a blank space on the whiteboard. That feels lazy to me. I want to drive content through the show and I want to know that all of all the content we've done, we've still had more content we could have used. I never want to sit in front of the microphone and not know what we're doing every minute of that show. Yeah. That's interesting to me. So it's very much that then is reliant on you and your voice. Like this is like what you've made for yourself then is that whether this is going to work or not work, it is very much reliant on the fact that you can consistently deliver yeah. mm. because you are now the star of the show. It is the money sheer gold show. People are tuning in. And mm. by the way, I agree to a large extent about what you're saying. It mm. is the idea that like even with this show, which is an interview show, like mm. one of the things that I always, when somebody's like, oh, well, you talk too much or you put too much of yourself in it. I'm like, mate, there are plenty of fucking interview shows where you can mm. go and listen to someone ask the same 10 questions and that person give the same 10 answers. Like I try to have a conversation exactly. with somebody and it gives us something different. But and, doing... and, and ultimately as well, Will, the difference for you is that people are tuning into this podcast for you and to get your skew on the guest. It's not always the guest that they want. They might hear that you're talking to me and think, oh, I'd love to hear how Will talks to Marty. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's as much about you. It's more about you than it is about who you're chatting with. And I, and I think that's the same for me in this radio show. I hope it is. It's more about the way people want to hear me discuss stuff than they do X from X to come in and talk about stuff. Okay, so then... It really is all on you, right? Do yes. you feel that pressure? Because whether it lives or dies, whether it works or does not work, there is no other person that they can point the finger at other than you. You've just said, I am the target. This is my show. People are going to listen to it, you know, because of me, whether they like me, they're going to like the show if, because if they like me or if they like what I'm doing, if they don't like the show, it's because they don't like me. They don't like what I'm doing. That's an incredible amount of pressure to carry around. Do you feel that pressure? No, I don't feel that pressure that way. I might if I was younger um, and I might if I hadn't done as much of this kind of work as I have done. So I feel confident in, in the studio and in, in, in the job. Um, I guess no one wants to fail. So that's probably what I feel more in those quiet moments as I'm having a glass of red wine thinking, holy fuck, I hope this thing doesn't go tits up. Um, but having said that, <laughs> it, it won't be the first time I've failed either. <laughs> so, I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with a spectacular fail as long as you're working hard. If you fail and you've done no work, well, then you deserve that failure in life. But if you're working hard, you can't really fail. You've just moved in the wrong areas or you've lost a bit of your shine or you're overexposed or a million reasons you and I could come up with why talented people don't work. But if you are working hard, then you can't really fail. Okay, so that's interesting to me. So having you know, failed before, as we all have, like we've all had the, you know, those things that did not work out how we wanted them to work out. Yes. Were you okay at... Ha- have you like learnt to be better at failing? Like, were you always okay with, you know, failure? Was it no. something that knocked you back, you know, on your ass previously? No, it, it. Look, I was never okay with failing. Um, um, and I was also complicit in the reasons why things were failing. There was a fair amount of sort of self sabotage going on there for a while um, until I sort of matured through that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the thought of failing now, um, because I've removed myself. And one of the best bits of advice I think I could give anyone starting out a job like this is to remove yourself entirely from social media. And that's what I've done because there's nothing to be gained by reading what some dick in the suburbs thinks of you, because it's not an accurate representation. And if you're in any way prone to caring about other people's opinions, that is not the place to start. <clears throat> so I think if you can, if you can extract yourself from that world of fuck wittery, um, and just get your head down and, and your bum up, then, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't even attach the, if this doesn't work, I wouldn't attach the word fail to it. I would say, um, <clears throat> I, I tried to make the most of that opportunity and it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to, you know, next. Uh, so social media is an interesting one because you are, you know, famously, you know, one of those few people who still isn't yes. in the world of social media. And I imagine there's been an incredible amount of pressure oh, over the my years God. for you to yeah. be involved times. in social media. Yes. Uh, did you always just have the sense that it was not for you? And do you feel like you're missing anything not in being involved in it? I feel like from a purely business point of view that there's money being left on the table. Absolutely. Um, but having said that, um, I think the, when you, when you didn't, I think when you've never embraced it and didn't go through it and haven't seen the stages of it and weren't at the start and weren't in the middle and weren't at the end, you don't know what you're really missing. Cause I don't really understand it. What I did find myself doing on my partner's phone was flicking through Instagram reels videos. Like right. I was a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> I'm like, what, what What? am I doing? I'm watching kids do shuffling. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm watching choreographed dances. I'm like, this is ludicrous. Stop it now and act your age. So I, I had a sort of flirtation with Instagram for about two months and then I just realised that it's just, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not. I don't want to spend that time on something that has no return. It's interesting to me. So when you're talking about feedback, then if you're not, yeah, you know, you're not taking feedback from strangers on the internet, which seems like a pretty healthy thing to, to mm. do in my mind. You know, uh, Briggs said, "Why would you take you know criticism from somebody that you wouldn't take advice from?" And I think that's a pretty, very true, a pretty fair point. And yeah, but do who do you take advice from? Because you're suddenly in this world of a radio station where I know from my previous experience in commercial radio in various forms, there is yeah. no shortage of people who have opinions about what it is that you do or how to make it work. Have you managed to, A, have someone that you can ask if things are working and B, have you managed to be able to create a cone to shut out the voices that won't be helpful to you? Yes, I absolutely have. And part of the agreement that was put in place here addressed some of those issues directly. and. And I think, you know, in the old days, I, I remember doing a Game Changers podcast with Craig Bruce and I, I talked about not respecting program directors who had never done what you and I have done, been on air. And I always struggled with those guys. I get that they can image a station, they can write a promo and all of that stuff. I'm not detracting from their strengths, but their strengths is not doing what we do. Now, the bloke I've got here now has done what we do. 
And so, and he's done a lot of it over the early part of his career. So the, I talked about not leaning into those program directors. And then I heard Richard Stubbs do a game changes when he actually quoted me back or paraphrased something that I'd said about program directors. And he was like, I think he might be missing a trick because, you know, he can really lean into these guys. And I am really actively leaning into that role here now in this job for the first time in my career. Because there's sensibilities around this shift that you forget. And there's things that you actually need to do to tick some boxes to make a breakfast radio show. And they're the things that you lose sight of and need to be reminded that they need to be a part of what you're doing. So in that sense, it's not a conversation about, oh, you could have been funnier at 10 past seven. That's not the conversation we're having. We're talking about the way you solicit what you want. What are you putting out? What are you expecting to get back? You know, those kind of, you know, top line ideas that are crucially important in making what we make and that you lose a handle on, you know, if you're not, if you're not tweaking those things day in and day out, they get away from you really quickly. Yeah, I can imagine that. So how do you know, um, like, what is good advice and what is bad advice? Because over the years, like, you have had so much advice, I imagine. Mm. And, like, mm. a whole bucket of bad stuff and a whole, mm. hopefully, a few morsels of good stuff along the way as well. How, mm. how are you able to differentiate which is which? Well, it's, it'd be like someone telling you how to write a tag. And it's just not required. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we know in ourselves, we have that sort of thing inside us when people talk about us as a product to us, you either immediately arc up. So you know that they're moving in the wrong area or you agree. Right. And I think people like us, talent for want of a better word, who are at our age and know themselves, um, have that immediate sort of, you know, we've got that radar where you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or I don't know about that. So I think that's how I sort of grade feedback now. Um, And look, most of it, what what I've come to terms with about feedback over the years, and I've never been great with it, Will, but what I've (laughs) come to terms with about feedback over the years is that when it's coming from the right person, it's coming from the right place. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be an attack or... It's not meant to be a trigger. It's meant to help. And if you go into a conversation thinking that this person actually wants to help, that's a very different starting point to thinking you know everything and are beyond help. Have you got a good um, strat? And I imagine that you have because you are a smart guy and you've been around radio for a very long time. Obviously, as we've touched on, you go into a job like this, it's had any job like this where you come in after a pre-established, I was speaking to Josh Earl on this show recently and he was talking about how hard it was to, you know, have that replacement show for Spicks and Specs because Mm. the old show had just been such an established show in people's minds. You come in with something different and people immediately, you know, are going to react to that in a whole bunch of different ways. As you said, it's much easier to shake the old audience than it is necessarily to bring in the new audience. Like one of those, easier to get somebody to turn off Takes yeah. you a while to get them to sample it over, come across those sort of things. Now, ideal situation is that all these people who loved everything that you've done previously just go fuck it. We're going to go and listen to Marty in the morning, and everything wouldn't that be great? Everything's sweet <laughs> from book one in Radio Land, yeah, and, you know, yeah. and everything's yeah. great. And like that's, I mean, that's what you, I imagine everybody hopes is the case. But the more well, realistic- you and I, we know that that won't be the case because we're long enough in the tooth and we've been around this business long enough. And I've got a young team around me. I've got a 26-year-old EP and I've got a 28-year-old producer and a 30-year-old producer, and I'm already gearing them up um, because it is a confidence game for young people. And I'm, without telling them that the wheels could be about to fall off here, gang, what I am saying to them is this is was always going to be a long game and we're in it. We're trusting our ears. We feel good. We're enjoying each other's company. We're having fun and we're laughing. Now, that is a great place to start from. What those 1,500 people in the suburbs who tick a box in a paper diary or online think of the show 
is not representative of what we're doing. It is a wonderful vehicle for sales when all of those things are going well and they can take it to the market and acknowledge it and it's data. But you and I know that that's not an accurate representation of the product that goes to air. And so I guess you've, you've actually taken me to the place that I wanted to ask anyway, which was the idea that you are now a leader. Like in the mm. past, you know, there was an element of your role that could almost be the troublemaker, the bomb thrower, mm. you know. Yeah, that's right. You know, everybody else has the momentum and your job is almost to come in and undercut it to, yeah. you, know, you know, to kind of like look from a different perspective. But now, as you said, you've got this young team around you. They're mm. all looking to you like as a leader. Do you feel different because of that? And do you, it sounds like even in that answer you just gave, you're clearly aware of the responsibility that you have as a leader to bring that young team along with you. Yes, I am aware of it and I really enjoy it and I feel like these young people around me um, reinvigorate me as well. It's great to have young people around you and work with them and hear about their weekend and think, holy hell, is that what you, is that what you guys do on the weekend? Are you serious? What, in a tent? Like all, all of that, like still I hear things and go, oh, God, I'm getting old. Do you know what I mean? I was slightly outraged by that. <laughs> so, you know, there's fun parts of that as well, but I do feel a commitment to them and I feel a responsibility to shepherd them through the business appropriately and to teach them and mentor them through the early part of their career. And in a lot of ways with Troy Ellis working with me, I'm, I, I wonder if these kids know how lucky they are to have two old hands at the helm that can really teach them this job and teach them appropriately in the way that I never had anyone teach me come through like that. Um, and perhaps if I had, it would have been a smoother road. What is the, um, I mean, look, I'm not looking for, you know, Craig Bruce style, you know, bond bots around you know, the industry of radio, but I am interested in that, you know, what, what important things you want to pass on to your team. What are the, you know, the key, you know, ideas that you think are important for them to learn from working with you guys? Look, I think attitude and culture um, are probably the top of the pile. We can always teach you how to prepare a show, but we can't teach you how to behave appropriately within a group. And that's such an important dynamic in tight-knit teams. It's almost like that sort of no dickhead rule. And you really need to be policing your behaviour, your attitude and energy when you turn up. And you need to work hard with a smile on your face and enjoy what you're doing or find something else to do because it's, it's okay if things aren't for you. We're not experiencing any of that in this team or group, but they're important lessons to learn at that age as well, because there is a temptation for guys my age to look at this snowflake generation and think, can I tell the guys that I'd never shave my balls? Right. Do you know, do, 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 you know, you start to sort of, is this an okay, like this would be funny if Will and I were talking about this. Can we talk about rimming? Is that a, is this a thing we can do in the, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Just rolling the dice on chats <laughs> with young people. You know, Tiger Woods was right into guys tossing his salad and they're like, what's tossing, what's tossing your salad? I'm like, don't worry too much about tossing your salad. <laughs> so I think, you know, mentoring young people. And then, of course, they've got their own processes in place and I'll occasionally look over their shoulder and ask them how they're actually executing some things. But I also want them to make mistakes and, and, and learn their craft through their own channels and be mentored by people who can help them along in their roles. One of the things I actually love, you know, I mean, a lot of what you're doing for people who haven't heard the show is that like you have your team, you know, they're with you in yes. the studio. You can get a yeah. real sense of who the team is. And, mm. you know, there is a lot of banter around oh you've pr you know, printed the rundown with the That's like, right. date from a week and a half ago yeah or, here's yeah. the spelling mistake or you know there's even a segment that you're doing on the show which i think is a really fun segment which is like a fact check segment mm. at the end of the show where it's like mm. come in and do corrections on things that have been said during the show so literally embracing the process of this is a moving thing there are going to be yes. mistakes we are going to make right. a part of the dna of this show to address those mistakes on air is it easier to address them on air than it is to address something off air do you think well i think it is absolutely and addressing a spelling mistake off yeah. air is redundant anyway do you know <laughs> what i mean like you know who cares but it's fun it's a it's a, like another character in the show 
And, and you know, this is a UK sort of version. The UK guys have had the whole team in the studio for years, but I felt like it was a real missed opportunity here. Like, honest to God, who wants me to sit here for three hours and talk into a stick? You know, nobody wants that. I don't want to do that either. I'm not interested in just sitting here talking. Um, I still want to bounce off people. And I look at that team and that group of young people around me and I think, you know, I'm growing these kids to be the next version of this show or the next version of the show over the road. So I'm giving them the producing side of the equation, but I'm also putting people who have never been in front of a microphone before and giving them the opportunity to grow and learn in a safe environment to be talent. And that is quite rare in itself. You, um, you um, talk about the idea that you didn't have that, and that is absolutely the case. So often you are just thrown into these things. Oh, by the all time, of us. By the time you're learning how to do them, they're going, oh, by the way, could you please clean out your desk? Like, Yeah, I know. Or you're crowbarred <laughs> in a team of people you don't know. It's like, oh, what the fuck happened here? What how have is- I ended up? the uh, bit of advice you wish you had been given or the, you know, the structure or whatever it is you wish you'd been given at the start, what would have been helpful to know before this all started? I think it would have been helpful to sort of get my head around the idea that every time the mics are on, you're working, you know, you're working, you're, you're trying to be a better version of the break that you did before. And every time that the mics are open, at a base minimum, you must be engaging. Um, you must be engaging. You can't be dismissive of it and angry with it. You're allowed to have, you know, light and dark, but it's very easy if you're having a shit day to realise you've just replicated the same attitude through 15 different breaks, mm-hmm. and that's exhausting for yourself and for the listener. You need to be swapping gears. You know, and I, if someone had pointed that out to me earlier, there are whole months of work in there <laughs> that could have had, had a totally different shape <laughs> to being a cranky fuck who didn't want to be there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mate, you can be cranky, but it's like 16 breaks. You can be cranky for six. Exactly. You just got to mix it up for the rest just of Just mix them. it up a bit, yeah. mate. You know, so I think if if I could have my time over, I would have probably realised earlier that a bit of light and shades never hurt anyone. Okay, so uh, let's move away from radio and back to the last 12 months because I am very fascinated by, um, you know, what your take on what happened to the world is in a broader sense. Like, do you think this is going to fundamentally change us this time that we've been through? You and I have a similar vintage. We really haven't been through anything big no. in our lifetimes. Like we've no, been very right. lucky in mm. a way that there was never, I mean, there was, you know, there was fears of the sort of like, you know, Cold War nuclear threat sort of thing. There was 9-11. There was all these kind of, you know, mm. kind of half-assed touchstones that were kind of bigger world events, but really didn't directly impact us as human beings. And then suddenly we've got one. We've got a, you know, once in a generation thing that the entire world's had to go through together. Do you think that it will fundamentally change us? Um, Yeah, I think it will. I think it will fundamentally change our age group um, because we've negotiated a pretty tough time uh, with responsibilities and you know, that's a different proposition to being a young person having gone through what we've just gone through. Um, or indeed a single person in Melbourne who didn't have a bubble of friends. Like when I think about how challenging it's been with a couple of kids and, you know, literally in your own home, I think, God, imagine what it was like if you were having a wobble in life before all of this, had some mental health issues, and then suddenly you're in a lockdown for 160 days. Like, a f- and then before this concept of let's give them a bubble, like it must have been absolutely harrowing for some people, not to mention if you're a, a mum and dad that just prior to the pandemic decided to throw everything into a cafe. Right. Um, it's, it, it, will, it will affect people our age, particularly people our age who have lost everything and are going back to start. And that's not... That's not me being melodramatic. That is a very real thing that's taken place here, not necessarily reflected and mirrored in other parts of the country, but certainly here in Victoria in 2020, it has been a very challenging life 
shaping and, you know, in many ways, disastrous time for people. And I think it's impossible to think that that's not going to change people. Do you think it changes the world? Like, do, does the world become I a, think it does. I yeah. think it does when we talk about um, half a million people half a million people dying in the US, um, I think it does. I think when we look at London in their first lockdown, we all thought, oh, they've knocked this on the head. Oh, no, they haven't. What about Italy when there was 20,000 people a day dying? I mean, it was insane. It really was. And what it's made us all realise that is how connected we are um, globally, how quickly things can get away from us. It's made us question some of these top-level administrators, and rightfully so. It's made us ask, are we being looked after? Are we really being looked after? Because this has been an absolute shit fight. It's been a bun fight. Who's in charge of this shit show? And really, it's, it's brought us together in some ways and driven us apart in other ways. When I read the response to someone like Dan Andrews. And it isn't just about being left and right. My thing about the Dan Andrews thing is, and this is a local level, would you rather Michael O'Brien be in charge? Hmm. (laughs) I wouldn't send him to the shops. I would not send him to the shops. What a dick. This is not an issue of the left and the right. This is an issue of someone taking control. Like Dan Andrews has not got everything right for sure. No, and no way. No way. But like when you put it like that, it is hard to argue against you. Oh, I mean. <laughs> like, firstly, for 90% of Victorians, you'd have to go identify who Michael O'Brien is firstly. Well, Tell and me also, which of these guys standing up there we're actually talking about. But also insert X. Like yeah. who did you reckon was going to be able to handle this? This was not what Dan Andrews signed up for. He's thinking about tunnels and tarmac. He's not thinking about, he wouldn't have even met Brett Sutton, I wouldn't have thought. (laughs) Now he sees him every day in an amphitheatre. He's like, I hate (laughs) theatre. I tell you what Dan Andrews will never do, go to the theatre again. (laughs) And when they fly Peter Credlin into town, I just think, oh, God, you're arseholes. What do you think? I mean, that's an interesting world that you live in now because obviously, you know, the media landscape in Australia is so fractured, you know, and Mm. particularly that sort of, you know, Sky News, Rupert Murdoch driven, but not just Murdoch, the Daily Mail and that that end of the market, which is just about, again. But that is the whole media now, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Well, it's it's most of it, right? It's most of it. Um, I mean, it's pretty much all of it. And the stuff that is centrist is very rarely left anymore. I know that people say the ABC is left. I don't think the ABC is what it was. No. And, you know, even when I watch shows like um, The Insiders now with David Spears and I see that they've started to sort of um, rationalise who they're sitting on that panel, um, if, if anything, to be not seen as left, that's what's happening in the media now, the fear of being seen as left. And then the bulk of the media is right, right? Yeah, skewed. I think. I mean, I think it's rare on the ABC you'll see anyone who's. In fact, the one people group of people you won't see on the ABC is true leftists. Mm. Like you might see some left leaning people, but then mm. they do such a huge job trying to address that balance by having people from the IPA or whatever on, mm. like from the other side. That what you'll end up have is like a lot of light left. You can might might have some you know centrist liberal left, you know, but and then yeah. some like full on right wing. But you rarely ever see a proper leftist on the ABC. No, no, you don't. And. That idea of the bleeding heart left and the overspend on social issues and social justice, that seems to have evaporated from our lives. And fiscally, the right will fix everything, will they? What do you mean by fix? Stripping the shit out of it. Um, we were talking about Jeff Kennett the other day and how he would have, how he would have handled the pandemic. And he would have handled the pandemic by firing everyone who had a job. Right. 
I no, remember. No, Marty, he would have sent everybody to that infectious diseases hospital he shut down. <laughs> when I first moved to Melbourne in the early 90s, he'd just replaced Kerner. And then he went about one of the great carve-ups of a, of, a, of a city you've ever seen in your life. Conductors, hospitals, education. You never see more people lose a job. It was astounding, the knife that he took to Melbourne and Victoria. Um, he's still throwing grenades in. It's one of the One of the great dead shits. <laughs> Pastel colours aren't for everyone, Jeff. Wear a print, for Christ's sake. I'm sick of blocks of of maroon and pink lemon jumpers. Um, what is it that we think, you know, what is it that you think that we are missing as human beings? I think this is an interesting, I'm always very interested in the question of like what we should be prioritizing as being important. And we've touched on a little in this conversation, which is, you know, we came together on so many things. Like there were so many positives out of what we've been through, where you saw Mm. communities working together, people Mm. looking after each other. But yes, we've also seen the complete opposite, which is, you know, there's never been a greater fracturing. Like what is you know, our future potential as human beings. How do we go forward so that we don't just end up, you know, like how is this not the, you know, getting towards the final seasons of humanity? How do we, you know, turn this around so it feels like we're an ongoing proposition? Look, I'm one of the least compassionate sort of on-air people going around and I would present as having very little empathy. But that's not really who I am as a person. That's who I am as a performer. And that's where I found a voice. But I think if we don't continue to share real empathy and compassion towards each other, um, we're, 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 we're in a lot of trouble. And, you know, I think I heard Tim Minchin talk about being a humanist once. And I, wasn't, I didn't really know what that meant. I just had an idea. I had my own idea of what it meant to be a humanist. And then when I dug a little deeper after hearing him talk about it, I thought, you know what? He's absolutely right, as I paraphrase him, that if humans aren't looking after humans, who's looking after humans? Who else is there? If we don't look after each other as a simple, basic, call it naive premise, if we're not looking after each other, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who's going to look after us because there's no one else. And speaking of humans, you have some of your own that you look after. How, yes. how did you guide them through this time? Oh, look, we, we, we parented as best we could. Um, and I'm sure all the parents know what I mean by that. You want to have Wednesday off? Have Wednesday off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Are we having this fight? Because if we start this fight now, it's going to go for ages. Are we really investing in this one? Is this the gloves off one we want to have? Nah, have a go on your iPad. Do you know what I mean? It was a real pick your battles period in life because you couldn't just go, get in the car uh, and shoot up the pub and have 10 schooners and go, oh, I will fix this tomorrow, but right now I'm drinking. Like there was, you know, so you really had to sort of, as a parent, manage your way through it. Um the kids were great. They missed their friends, obviously. They didn't want to homeschool. Who does? Home's home. Home's not school. Home is not school. When you've been brought up thinking that school's school and then you've got a laptop on the kitchen table, it's like, yes. And I agree. Fuck it. You know what I mean? I was an absolute dunce at school. Me encouraging the kids to do school is ludicrous because I did fuck all. <laughs> So to stand over those guys and go, come on, gang, hey, what do we do? Hey, what, what happened to this project we were doing on Japan? In my mind, I'm dying. Do you know what I mean? There's a piece of me just shriveling up going, fuck about making a volcano about Japan. Do you know what I mean? But we did it. Um, and, you know, in terms of getting their head around the concept, I think what they did realise and what they've realizing now through their own educators is that we are a global community and I think that's a realization that you have we've always been very wary on what we would let the kids access information wise the kids have never sat down and watched the news and I've always been big on that there's plenty of time to find out life sucks balls just be a kid 
Um, there's plenty of time to discover that there's some awful shit going on in the world. And you don't need to know that when you're 10. No one wins. What would you fill their mind with that stuff for? I just watched Jaws with my 12-year-old the other day. And she's like, the shark was pretty ordinary. I go, yes, the shark was ordinary. <laughs> but isn't that part of the charm of the shark? What about when he got bit in half? She's like, oh, yeah. She you know what traumatised her more? The kid on the yellow lilo that's mother ends up walking down the beach and he's the only one that doesn't come out of the water. And I thought, well, that is pretty, that's pretty heavy. The mum wandering along the beach looking for the kid that doesn't come out of the water. She wasn't as much concerned about the shark as she was concerned about the mum. And I liked that part of her yeah. in that moment. Uh, all right. One more question, Marty, because I'm conscious about the fact that it is Friday morning. You've finished your working week. This is essentially knockoff drinks for you. 9.30, yeah, 9.30 on the Friday morning. We've got a team lunch today. That'll oh, get, okay, nice. That'll get large, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah, large. And then everyone will be asleep at 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> oh, by large, I mean I'm still going to bed at 6. <laughs> Uh, uh, I would have offered you this last time, but uh, every time somebody comes back, you get a second trip on a time machine. So anywhere in the future, anywhere in the past, you get on your time machine. Where do you want to go? I'd go to the I'd go to the wet market in Wuhan. Yeah, and <laughs> I'd have so. a look at the, I'd have a look at the bloke eating a bat down the end of the road and say, "Mate, are you is you eating sure? bats okay? Are you sure? Maybe because I reckon stuff could happen if you eat that bat." If that's indeed what happened. Yeah, if that's indeed what happened. Marty Sheargold, it has been an absolute pleasure. People can listen to the Marty Sheargold Show if you're in Melbourne on uh, Triple M. But, of course, if you're in the rest of the country and you want to hear it, uh, you can podcast it uh, in your usual podcast places. There is a new um, you know, Southern Cross Stereo app that you can also go through. But you know, Oh, well done. I don't, I don't work for the corporation. So no, I don't, you don't, I don't need really to do that. To plug that you one. Don't, you, don't muddy the water. <laughs> and have fun tonight, mate. I, I'm, I you, know mate. you'll enjoy it. And I know the people there will be dying to see you. Yeah, I'm literally after, uh, now that we finish, I'm about to just go back and try to remember what my jokes are. So Remember your jokes. And what's the pre-show look like? You put the headphones on and how long do you give yourself to get up and about? Or are you just literally heading into the venue and walking on? I don't know is the real answer. I don't, mm. actually don't know. Like mm. normally I would know, but I just, it's so unusual that I just don't quite know what I've got to do today. Like I... Mm. It's, I've got to get my head around it. Firstly, I've got to work out the set. And then yeah. after, after that, I'm not really sure what, what is going to happen for the rest of the day. How do you remember the set in order just as, to, as a comic to another comic? Oh, never had a problem with it. I never had a problem with never it? Never had a problem with it. Because mostly I write my stuff in order. Like yeah, as right. in, like all the stuff makes sense in order. One thing yes. leads to another to thing. To another but thing. It, but even if I'm like tonight, the show that I'm doing, because it's not a full show, it's like a you know, like a stand-up set in a bigger gala show, but it's like a 20-minute set. So mm. I'm going to take some bits and pieces from different things. I'll still just have it in an order that sort of makes, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, uh, that's, all, that's uh. always how I remember things. It's just like it makes sense. And the other one is always – because that's my advice I always give to younger people as well, is no one else knows how it's meant to go. No, that's right. Like, that's exactly right. So That's don't so funny worry. you say that because I think that too. I think that about myself. Sometimes when I hear myself back doing stuff, I think, oh, that's totally different to how I thought about it as I was saying it because nobody hears you the way that you hear yourself. Right. It's an interesting point to come to in life where you go, Oh, okay. Uh, that's not what I thought was happening in that moment. And it's okay. Good way to finish. Thank you so much for doing this this morning, Marty. It was nice to see you, mate. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me back. I really enjoyed it.